Welcome to Play for Keeps, a presentation of Ashland New Plays Festival. This play is the property of the playwright who reserves all rights to its use. This recording is the property of Ashland New Plays Festival, Inc., which reserves all rights to its use. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Two, scene one. A park bench. Michael sits some distance from Allison. Corinne made you meet me, huh? Yes. I, uh, <clears throat> I know there were things I'm supposed to ask you, but I don't know what they are. Well, aren't there things you're curious about? Of course, yeah. Like? What do you do for fun? <laughs> I'm sorry. Where is, uh, what do you, have you always lived in the city? Yes. Great. Have you? No. Ohio. Akron. What's that near? Mm, don't worry about it. Do you have, is there family? Do I have, like, grandparents and stuff? In theory, yes, but in practice, no. Robin and I have been orphans for about 35 years. Our parents died when I was in college. Robin was in middle school. Car crash. 18-wheeler. Long time ago. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, time. Right. I have a few cousins somewhere. They probably have kids. And maybe those kids have kids. I don't know. I don't have Facebook Corinne keeps in touch with her whole family via Facebook. Otherwise, they'd all be lost to her, like mine, I guess. Except her father and her sister. She has a 14-year-old niece, whom she likes well enough for a 14-year-old. They live in Arkansas, so she hardly ever sees them anyway. I should probably friend Corinne. What? On Facebook. Yes. So, did you always want to be an actor? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no. Well, I don't know. I, I was forbidden. I was majoring in history and philosophy, but then my parents died, so I switched to theater. So, in a way, fortuitous. Allison finds that sentiment a little troubling. Michael realizes he said something perhaps uncouth, but stands by it, so says nothing for a beat. Choices. You know, the paths we take. I think about that a lot. Forks in the road. How we get from one place to another. How easily we might have turned left instead of right. It's terrifying, if you think about it. If my parents had not been hit by a truck, I would not be an actor. And if I were not an actor, I would not know my wife. I would know some other wife. You might have loved the other wife just as much. <laughs> the very idea. I think it's cool that something is always waiting for us somewhere, no matter where that is. I like my wife. I would not want another. But you wouldn't know, would you? If you had another, you wouldn't know the difference. There would be no comparison to make. This is about as far as Michael can make it into a conversation with someone who is not his wife or his sister. His engine stalls. He tries to rev it up. Uh, that's right, technically, but... Uh... Allison looks at him expectantly. Corinne walks up. They are both relieved. Hello. 
Hi. Michael stands to greet her and kisses her. I think that's the best part of having a husband. All you have to do is show up somewhere and you get kissed. How was your audition? Let's not. Uh, mm-hmm. Audition for what? Just a small role in a film, terrible script, lots of money, which is invariably the way it goes in our profession. Ah, how's it going here? Great. Corinne can hear the exclamation point in his voice and is immediately suspicious. Mm, great. Ready for lunch? Michael and I need to be at the theater a little early. We have a half-hour call. So you can just come with us after lunch, or you can head over on your own closer to curtain. Your ticket is waiting at the box office. Are you sure it's okay that I'm coming? I mean, it's like the last show, right? Isn't that kind of a thing? Aren't you sad when you close a show? Sometimes, but not usually. Michael is never sad. He doesn't get attached to anyone. I just don't like any of them. None of them? There is really only one person on Earth I actually like, and that's Corinne. (laughs) Corinne nods. Allison shifts her weight around a bit uncomfortably. And you. I I, I like you, too. Allison smiles and then unsmiles. Michael does, too. Why is that, though? I mean, how does that work? Why is Corinne so much more likable than everyone else in the world? I don't know, really. I just like her. She doesn't annoy me at all. (laughs) Usually. Usually. But even when she does annoy me, I sort of like it. Love is strange. (sighs) I hope you like Thai food. Don't start. I know how you feel. I like Thai food. Good. They start to walk. Michael takes Corinne's hand. Hey, could we... uh... Corinne stops. So does he. Allison, uh, go on ahead. We'll catch up in just a minute, okay? Work thing. Allison is not fooled, but she nods. Sure. Allison exits. Michael now takes Corinne's other hand, too, in a way quite desperate. I don't know what else to say to her. I've already said all the things I know to say to a person, and she's barely even a person. She's a teenager. I mean, she's smart, but I'm not comfortable going into detail about myself, and I'm ashamed to say I don't really care about her details. And Honey, take it easy. You care. You can care. You can do that. I don't not care, but uh, I can't even bring myself to be fully present while she's talking. I I don't even know how to listen to what she's saying and, you know, respond accordingly. You mean have a conversation? Yes. Michael, I love you, but suck it up. (gasps) I'm serious. You're not a robot. You can be a person and interact with another person. I've seen you do it, and for God's sake... Stop obsessively thinking that you can't do it. That's what's keeping you from actually doing it, okay? Let's go. He doesn't move. I love you. I love you, too. She tries to go. He holds her in place. I love you so much. Stop it. You're stalling. I'm just being affectionate. You're being a coward. Let's go. She starts to drag him off. Allison appears to check on them. Corinne stops suddenly. Then Michael stops and looks at her. Honey? Corinne is immobile and briefly on another planet. Honey? Go. You go, you two. Go. I'll... Just go. Corinne, I'm go. not... He cannot read her, and this is terrifying to him. There is a pause as he tries. I think we should go. Allison can read her. Michael recognizes this. They exit. Corinne sits down on the bench. Her hand shakes. Scene two. Corinne's drab dressing room for Lion in Winter... 
It's empty until Corinne enters with Allison. They both carry a box. Look at all this glamour! It's just oozing with sophistication and luxuriousness. They put the boxes down. This is all yours? Can you believe it? Allison gestures to one of the boxes. Can I... Oh, sure. Allison goes through the box, pulls out a couple picture frames as Corinne unpacks the other box. Is this you? Ah, uh, 30 years ago, Roxanne in Cyrano. <laughs> I like to tape it to the mirror for inspiration while I do my makeup. <laughs> one day, they will invent cosmetics that are truly age-defying, and I'll be able to make myself up into her again. <laughs> you don't keep any wedding pictures with you? We got married in my parents' backyard in Arkansas in the middle of summer. I wore a sundress and Michael was wearing shorts and a t-shirt. I think we both wore sandals. We forgot to hire a photographer. So we just have a few Polaroids. She reaches into her purse and pulls out a Polaroid. Atrocious, right? <laughs> we just couldn't be bothered to make any more of an effort. Wow. This is gorgeous. He still looks at you like that, you know? Well, yeah. She puts the picture back in her purse. What's this one from? Oh, Hedda Gabler. Were you Hedda Gabler? Yes, and that's Michael as Eilert Loveborg. <laughs> ben Brantley called us smoldering. <laughs> Michael described literally everything as smoldering for months thereafter. How's that book, smoldering? How do you want your eggs? Smoldering, if possible. Very annoying. <laughs> Allison is on her smartphone. You want a Tony for that? For Hedda, yes. Slow year. Michael doesn't have a Tony. No. When I was little, my mom told me that my father was an actor. My whole life, I begged her to tell me his name, and she'd say, if he ever wins a Tony, I'll let you know. As if to say, then and only then will he be worth knowing. Allison shrugs and puts her phone away. Why did she keep you from him? Do you have any idea? I think she was afraid I'd find him and leave her. You don't like your mother, obviously. She's an alcoholic. An unapologetic one. You know, the kind who owns it, refuses to get help because she thinks she's the one alcoholic in the world who deserves to be an alcoholic. Has earned it. So I got a job when I was 14, which is the earliest you can, legally, and just worked as much as I could until I was 16, and I applied for emancipation. Brave of you. It's not brave when you don't feel like you have a choice. My mom calls me every day. It's been almost six months since I actually picked up. What if she's turned over a new leaf, if you'll pardon the old cliché? Too late. I know that sounds stickish, but it's a trust thing. A memory thing. I'll never be able to look at her and feel anything new. All right. If you're going to be here, you have to help me. I have makeup instructions from our makeup designer so I can learn to do it myself. You can be my test run. You want to put it on me? I am going to put Eleanor of Aquitaine on your face. Are you okay with that? Um, yeah. <laughs> Allison sits at the mirror. Corinne gets all the makeup out plus an instruction sheet and pulls up another chair and sits adjacent to her. She does Allison's makeup throughout the following. So, I read the play. And then two biographies of Eleanor of Aquitaine. Oh, you did? I bet Michael wanted to play Henry. Yes. It was a matter of some discord, to put it mildly. Your old director boyfriend wouldn't cast him? The producers wanted someone else. It was tough. We have wanted to do this play together as long as we've known each other. 
And when I accepted the role, he viewed it as a kind of betrayal. It likely would have escalated into a much larger issue between us, but almost instantly we got some news that made it difficult for him to hold on to his anger. What news? The longer you remain ignorant of this, I think the better. Um, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you don't. It kills Michael to not be in the know. He's ravenous for information all the time. This is why you're both such big readers, I suspect. Were you pissed when you found out I existed? I, I don't think there's been language invented that could accurately describe what I felt at that time, Allison. But no, I wasn't pissed. Something happened to you the other day in the park. I, I spent so much time viewing this situation as something that was happening to Michael. Then I realized it was happening to me too. It's much easier to be strong when it's for someone else's sake, I think. Something happened to you when you showed up on our doorstep, when you came back. I realized I had nothing to lose. I expected you guys would already have kids of your own. No, not for us. Did you, like, have trouble conceiving? No, 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 no. We decided not to have children. And let me tell you, trying not to get pregnant is way more difficult than trying to get pregnant. Yeah, that's what they tell us in health class. <laughs> I won't even tell you about one particular trip to Cabo, wherein I forgot my diaphragm. I mean, condoms? Oh, just that much more irritating when you are married and wish to be done with all that. <laughs> Those first couple of days, Michael was so mad at me forgetting. He... Turned our meticulously planned romantic vacation into a pouty, stompy, sexless nightmare. <laughs> Finally, he caved and went to the drugstore, and then he bitched and moaned about the knowing look the clerk gave him when he went to check out. I don't speak Spanish, but I know he said something dirty to the guy in line behind me. I know it. <laughs> As if millions of people don't buy condoms every single day. <laughs> Allison is smiling and closes her eyes so Corinne can do her eye makeup. I feel like it should be weird to think about my father buying condoms. Yes, it probably should be. <laughs> I thought I was pregnant once. Really? I was a week late and got a stomach bug at the same time. I was 43 and it seemed unlikely, but once the thought crept into my head, it paralyzed me. Even after the test came back negative, I was so skittish about the whole thing that we... We didn't have sex for a month. You really didn't want kids. I really didn't. I don't think I want kids either. No? It's a lot of pressure to not fuck your children up. Life's hard enough without being in charge of extra lives. Corinne has finished with the makeup. Okay, look. Allison looks into the mirror. Whoa, I'm a medieval queen. Something like that. <laughs> Corinne gets to work doing her own makeup. When do you have to go out there? My call isn't until one, but I like to sit in the house and watch all the nitty-gritty stuff beforehand. Michael should be here to meet you soon. Do you know where you're going for lunch? No. <laughs> there are only two restaurants in the entire city he likes, so your choices will be limited. Why is he like that? So curmudgeon -y. The thing about Michael is that true, he hates almost everything, but the few things that he loves, he loves immeasurably. Wildly and enthusiastically. 
well, <laughs> maybe not enthusiastically, but deeply and with great dedication. Think he'll ever love me? I don't know. Alison is equal parts furious with and appreciative of this honesty. A knock on the door and Michael enters, looking around. Nice digs, Hardwick. Corinne and Allison both look at him with their identical Eleanor of Aquitaine makeup, pleased with themselves. <laughs> well, look at you two. He smiles. Scene three. Michael and Corinne's living room. Michael is rummaging around, tearing through drawers and cabinets, etc. Corinne enters through the front door. I'm home. Uh, hello. Hi. How is the show? Fine. What are you doing? He is too focused to really hear her. She just shakes her head and exits into the hall. He pulls things out of drawers and tosses them. You better clean up after yourself. He tosses more things. She enters with a glass of red wine and stands watching him. I would love if you would just tell me what's going on here instead of making me pry it out of you. I'm looking for something. You don't say. Anything. Actually, I'm looking for anything. What a task. She walks past him and goes to sit on the couch and drinks her wine. <gasps> I had a terrible day. Cabot has decided to reblock the entirety of Act One, Scene Two, fourth preview, and he's. Uh, we're fucking blocking! <sighs> Maybe I'm overreacting. I admit, I pitched a bit of a fit during notes tonight, and Cabot has no patience during previews ever, but I. I, I mean. I, me, the. the me of today, I can no longer internalize these kinds of last minute blocking notes. I can't remember them. The boys and I got caught up in this unholy kerfuffle is really the only accurate word to describe it during tonight's show because I completely forgot about the changes. And they were nice enough about it, but Cabot, oh no, the great unforgiving, unrelenting thing that he has laid into me hard in front of everyone to Jim's delight, I suspect. And I lost it. You're not listening to me. I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm looking for something to give Allison. That's what gift cards are for. No, I'm... An heirloom or something, a memento, a thing of value and significance, a family something, a family anything. Are you drinking? I am allowed to drink. I've just been choosing not to. <sighs> I want to help Allison feel like she's part of something. She should inherit something. He pulls a drawer out and brings it over to the floor in front of the couch. He sits on the floor with it and goes through it. Corinne watches him for a moment. I couldn't do my job today, Michael. Here's the deed for my parents' life insurance policy. Think she'd like that? <laughs> no. Hey, you. You got me on mute or something? What? Oh, oh, look at this. No. No. God damn it. I have nothing. Why couldn't my father have left me a gold watch or something? A pocket watch. A gold pocket watch. That'd be something to pass on to my progeny. What would Allison do with a gold pocket watch? I can barely prove my own existence to her. I don't even have any photos. What happened to those? Maybe Robin has them. There must have been photos at one point. Honey, we don't have any photos. We have some. Why don't we ever take any pictures? People take pictures of us all the time. I mean, of us, of our life together. Gee, I don't know. We're usually too busy actually living to stop pose and take a photo of us living. She gets up and takes her wine glass down to the floor with her near him. She'll probably start to do some stretches on the floor while she's there. He finally stops rummaging and watches her briefly. I received a lovely voicemail from your father today. Oh, no. You finally told him about Allison. He called me. I was tired. I really... 
had no interest in getting into it, but it just came out. He is inexplicably angry at me. I know. I'm sorry about that. He, he doesn't quite grasp the timeline. He's 80. But what was most interesting to learn was that he apparently had been under the impression that I was sterile. Oh. Oh. Oh, that's right. Oh. You know what he's like, Michael, after we got married? It was a, a constant flood of babies, babies, babies. When are you going to get pregnant? Give me grandchildren, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it was before Tam had Madison. So it was some paralyzing fear of his to be airless. And I, I, I couldn't get him to understand. He couldn't accept that we'd made a decision to be childless. And, and so I, So it was easier to tell him that I was sterile? Why not tell him you're barren? He could have taken that personally, honey. You know. He would have taken your fake infertility personally? Any defect of mine is a defect of his. You know For that. For 15 years, your father has not thought me a man. You gotta be kidding me. Does your sister think that too? No. I made her accept the truth. Tam's a little more reasonable than dad, but even she, six or seven years ago, did I tell you this? After my stupid cousin's baby shower, she was 42, by the way, Tam left this baby shower kind of half in the bag, you know, and she calls me up and goes, what if you change your mind? What if you change your mind and it's too late? I told her I wouldn't, that if I thought there was a chance I would change my mind, I wouldn't have made the decision in the first place. We wouldn't have made the decision. And then she goes on, on and on, saying, you, you just can't understand right now, Corin. You, you can't know it until you experience, she says. The greatest joy you will ever feel in your life happens when you hold your child in your arms for the first time. I was livid. I was incensed. I told her, you don't know my joy, Tammy. The things from which I derive pleasure. God, I don't know what I even said to her. Maybe my greatest joy was when I stepped on stage at the Globe for the first time. Maybe it was when I met Harold Pinter. More than likely, my greatest joy was the moment Michael asked me to marry him, or the moment I married him, or the moment I won my goddamn Tony Award. No, not that. But you, know, you get the picture. I don't think you told me about that. It's harder for women, Michael. I'm sorry to say it, but it's harder. The judgment is... It's just worse. The disbelief, the pity, the self-righteousness. And God knows I don't give a shit. But I want you to know that it's harder. And now that you know, after all that, you do have a child. That harder has become greater. I always had you, always had my teammate in childlessness. And now that you play for the other guys, I'm alone. You are not. I know. But... I am. Fifteen years of hard work and planning, of decision-making and deliberate choices, and we have nothing to show for it, really. It happened anyway. And it had happened long before our decision was made. Isn't that the kicker? Yeah, it must be. Allison was born before we even met. Ugh, what suckers we were. You don't need to prove your past to her, Michael. You need to, I don't know, prove your present by being present. That's all there is. She doesn't give a damn about pocket watches, and neither do I. So what I'm saying is I really need you to shut up about them. He exhales dramatically, then lies down on the floor on his back. She crawls over and sits on her knees beside him.
Did you really not hear a word I said about my day? I really didn't. Tell me again. No, no. It's all right. You fought with Cabot? Yeah, that's all. He is staring at the ceiling. I'm worried that I'm not going to feel anything more than this, that it's not going to happen. What if this is it? Shouldn't I be experiencing some kind of overwhelmingly powerful, otherworldly sense of majestic love? Isn't that what a love for a child is supposed to be like? Maybe I do love her, and it's just quiet. I don't know. How do you know whether or not you're feeling the love you're supposed to feel? She pulls his hand into her lap. I think I'm waiting to be hit with some grand epiphany, a tidal wave. But maybe Allison will just have to be a girl that I know things about and smile at and say supportive things to and occasionally hug in a perfunctory way. Is that okay? And if it's not okay, if it's not enough, at what point do I give up? My only real experience of love have been love for my sister, whom I have known since the day she was born, and you, who I... Magic. You are magic. I may not have the capacity for anything more. Allison's already been let down by one parent. I don't want to be another disappointment to her. Hey! Hey! She crawls on top of him and forces him to look at her. Stop fucking wallowing. I want my cocky son of a bitch husband back. That cocky son of a bitch is nobody's disappointment, goddammit. She lays down on top of him, her head on his chest. Marry me. He puts his arms around her. They stay like that. Scene four. Michael and Corinne's apartment. Empty and quiet. The door buzzer goes off. Leave it. Let it go. It's 11 o'clock at night, Michael. It could be an emergency. How much of an emergency could it be? The only person I care about is standing right in front of me, wearing nothing but... The buzzer goes off again. Oh, come on. Corinne enters from the hallway in a short silk robe, which she ties up when she goes for the buzzer. Son of a bitch. Yes? It's Allison. She buzzes Allison up. Not the only person you care about. Michael enters and goes straight for her and tries to coax her back into the bedroom. Who is it? Allison. Ugh. There is a knock on the door. Corinne breaks free from him to answer it, and Allison enters distraught. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I just... I didn't... She sits down on the couch. Michael and Corinne are both standing behind it. Michael puts his arm around Corinne's waist and slips his hand under her robe. She jumps and pushes him away. Michael. I didn't know where else to go. This was the only place I could imagine being. What's what's going on? My mom called me. I answered. I don't know why I answered. I was feeling hopeful. Something. But I knew. I could tell she was drinking from the minute I heard her voice on the other end of the line. I know what that sounds like. I know every slur and weird intonation. She said she was just having a drink to celebrate. Getting a new job or something. But it wasn't a drink. It was not a drink. She was wasted. She turns to look behind her at Michael and Corinne, who have not moved. We are so sorry to hear that, Allison. Allison looks at them like this is a greater betrayal than her mother's drunk phone call. She quickly gets up. Oh, God. What an idiot. I'm sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. 
Sorry to bother you. And she's out the door. Oh, oh Jesus Christ, we fucked that up. We fucked that up so badly. What should we have done? It's not our responsibility to take care of her. Isn't it? She exits into the hallway. A door slams. Scene 5. Corinne's dressing room. Opening night. Corinne stands alone at the mirror, touching up her show makeup. She is wearing a pink cocktail dress. She sits down to strap on her heels. Cabot enters without knocking. He is in a nice suit, and he is distraught. What was that? Corinne just looks at him, gaze unwavering. Congratulations. Well done. What was that? I went up. I'm sorry. Will you zip me, please? He zips up her dress. Corinne, that is not what happened. I don't think anybody noticed. Do you? I noticed. A knock on the door, and Robin enters with Allison. They are both dressed up as well, and Allison has a boutique of flowers, which she immediately hands to Corinne. That was so good! Ah! Even I enjoyed it. Corinne, really sensational. I mean it. Corinne hugs them both. I'm so glad you came. Congrats, Cabot. Thank you. Corinne. Where's my husband? He got waylaid by a couple of your royal sons. Oh, no. I should save him. Actually, he seemed kind of okay with it. Corinne, we really need... Cabot, my darling, will you please just kiss my cheek and say congratulations? He kisses her cheek. Congratulations. Thank you. Michael enters in a nice suit. He's in a good mood. Beaming, in fact. Out of my way, peasants. Robin, Allison, and Cabot step to the side so Michael can go straight to Corinne. He kisses the hell out of her. Good God in heaven, you are lovely. He kisses her all over, then takes both of her hands and kisses them. They are both maybe a little emotional. Extraordinary. You guys want us to leave you? Oh, no. I'm done. Michael turns to Cabot, hand outstretched. Brilliant. Hell of a show. Beautiful work, my friend. Robin and Allison exchange glances, alarmed by his congeniality. Thanks. Thank you. Michael returns to Robin and Allison. And you, you non-theater people, were you amazed? Uh, yeah. It was a lovely show. Should we get going? Michael holds an arm out to her. Please allow me the honor of escorting you through the throngs of adoring fans and loyal subjects, my queen. Corinne rolls her eyes and takes his arm. Yes, dear. They start to exit. This is three queens in a row you've played now. Do you know that? Corinne and Michael exit. Is he going to be like this all night? At this rate, I don't plan on sticking around long enough to find out. <laughs> Robin and Allison follow them out. Cabot feels a little helpless and unsettled, but follows them. Scene 6. The alley behind the opening party venue. Cabot is smoking a cigarette. Michael enters from inside. Miss Thing is looking for you. It's her party. What you need me for? You should see Jim out there scrambling for her spotlight. I think she sent me out here to find you just to give me a break. I don't mind playing the role of adoring husband, but... You don't play it. <laughs> You're right. I live it. Cabot suddenly turns to look at him. What's wrong with her? Oh, nothing's wrong with her. I've known her for over 20 years, Michael. Something's wrong. I don't know if you're trying to hide it or if you're just oblivious, but something is wrong with her. Hey, she's my wife. Why don't you let me... She's your wife? Does that mean no one else gets to care about her general well-being? I'm sorry. Are you not paying attention? Are you distracted by this surprise love child? What? There's not a 
whole lot I can do, Cabot. Corinne enters from inside. She's a little drunk on attention and maybe martinis. My boys. She glides into Michael's arms and puts a hand on Cabot's shoulder. I left you for five minutes. I'm fine. I've only had two drinks. But you haven't eaten anything, see? I can't make it anywhere near the buffet without getting stopped by someone. I can't move two feet. You made it out here. How is Allison? She seems to be holding her own the last time I glimpsed her. Impressive in a 17-year-old. Helps to be sober. It she is sober, isn't she? She has been nursing a sprite all evening, I believe. Very bracing. Good. What an overprotective father. What have you two been discussing? You? Oh, I'm tickled. She loses her balance and Michael holds her up. Before he can say anything about it... It's not the alcohol. Her hand starts shaking violently and she reaches for his hand to hold it. Okay, well, let's get you something to eat. I can't feel my legs. He tenses up. At all? She shakes her head. What's happening? Allison and Robin enter from inside. Where have you been? We've been looking all over for... Are you guys okay? She starts to go limp. He keeps holding her up. Hey, 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 hey. Her eyes start to roll back. Corinne, look at me. Hey. What is this? Robin, reach into my back pocket and grab my phone. Uh, find Dr. Ross in my contacts and tell him to meet us at the hospital. Cabot, go flag down a cab. Allison... Just go with him, please. Robin reaches into Michael's pocket for the phone. Nobody else moves. Go! They all exit in a hurry. Scene 7. A hospital waiting room. Cabot is asleep in a chair. Not too far away sit Robin and Allison. Allison is shaken up. Robin is trying to keep her brain busy. I have to admit, when Michael met Corinne, I was suspicious. For weeks he could only talk about her. Before that, he could only ever talk about work or whatever he was reading at the time. But suddenly everything was about this woman he met, this actress he was doing a show with. I didn't see it. I was out at Williamstown and I just didn't make it. She became everything so quickly. He'd never really talked to me about another person before. He didn't even care enough to rant about people he didn't like. Just totally apathetic about everyone. He went out with women from time to time, obviously. There were people he worked with every day and tolerated, was just polite enough to maintain his professional relationships, but that was it. When I finally met Corinne, I don't know, I think I must have been such an asshole to her, but it was just because I was so shocked by the effect her presence had on him, watching them together. I had never known him like that, and I'd known him my entire life. It was like watching The Miracle Worker or something. She unlocked something in him. The way he interacted with the world when he was with her, it was revelatory. And I didn't know why. Could never understand what it was about her. I swear to God, Allison, you think they're bad now. You should have seen them in their honeymoon phase. Michael had to have both hands touching some part of her at all goddamn times. He could barely look away from her for a second, lest he miss a single flutter of her eyelashes. It was as annoying as it was amazing. And I was suspicious, like I said. I was suspicious of this, until I started noticing the way she looked at him, dreamy-eyed, some combination of awe, amusement, and admiration. He could make her happy merely by existing. They made me hate my husband. Is that not singularly ridiculous? I can't believe I let that happen. Comparison is deadly. I think, should I not be coming alive the way Michael comes alive with her? 
Later, I wondered if I was just already alive. I still don't know, honestly, if I'm already the truest version of myself as I am, or if someone will come along someday and unlock that version, and I'll become the person I didn't know I was. I hate the word soulmate. I hate the idea of it. I reject everything about it, and I will never use it in a sentence for any reason other than to make it clear just how much I hate it. But every aspect of my brother's life would be so much less without her. And I am so incredibly delighted that I get to know the person that she allows him to be. Allison is still shaken up. Cabot is still asleep. Scene 8. A park bench. Michael sits with Allison. She's okay? Yes. You swear? Yes. Believe me, if she wasn't, I wouldn't be here. You're okay? Oh, yeah. Sorry you had to witness all that. You didn't have to stay at the hospital. It didn't feel right to leave. Robin didn't want to leave you all alone with Corinne unconscious, and I didn't want to leave Robin all alone with you like you were, and, you know. Cabot was pretty upset, too. Yeah. He loves her. He does. It's sad. You should be nicer to him. I should. It's not his fault he loves her. Michael nods. So, what's gonna happen? I read a whole book on Huntington's disease during my free period today. I know it's going to get bad. Yeah. She'll keep working? Try and stop her. Are you scared? I am terrified. One day you'll have to feed her, bathe her, speak for her probably. Yes. And you don't know when. One year, five years, two decades. Allison, this isn't helping. I read a book too. I read every book, actually. Corinne knows what the doctor told her, and that's it. But I know. We wait. Am I getting in your way? My way? You have so much in your life. I have a wife, and I have a career. I think you are lovely and very impressive. I'm glad that I exist because it means that you do. I don't want to take you away from each other. I think that is a very mature thing to say, a very unselfish, sophisticated way of thinking. But I may need you one day, and you may need me. So I think it's best if we stay in each other's lives, okay? Okay. I want to... want you to... No, let's not have your engine stall, too. We can't have both of us breaking down on the side of the road. I was just going to say that you can talk to me about stuff if you want to. But that felt like something a person might say on TV. <laughs> you can tell me things if... I know you can only talk to Corinne, but... If you only talk to Corinne, then maybe you don't have anyone you can talk to about Corinne, right? Right. So, if you want to, just talk about her. Like, about her favorite color or how she loads the dishwasher. <laughs> you can do that with me. She, 
She has a great sense of spatial understanding. In fact, she'll even completely reorganize the bottom rack because she can easily fit four plates in the spot where I carelessly placed a cereal bowl. Our dishware is always immaculately arranged when I go to empty it. I do not marvel at that enough. He reaches for her hand, and she smiles. Scene 9, Corinne's Dressing Room. She is dressed in her own clothes with her purse on her shoulder, standing against her dressing table, totally distracted. There's a knock on the door, and Robin enters. We've been waiting out by the stage door for 20 minutes now. Sorry. Okay. Where's Michael? Still out there, refusing to come in and talk to people. I ran into Cabot in the hall. Does he come to every damn show? Corinne turns and checks her lipstick in the mirror. Okay, we can go. Are you okay? <sighs> Please don't keep asking me that all the time. I am no more an invalid than you are. I don't know if that's a ring endorsement. Ask Michael if he's okay. Yeah, he doesn't like that any more than you do. <sighs> Has he told you that he is so paralytically afraid to lose me that he is also afraid to touch me? As if his touch might somehow precipitate my demise. It's a shame, really, because if I am to die, I should like to do it in the throes of passion. Well, that might be nice for you, but in the moment, I'd imagine not so nice for your husband. I'm the one whose mind and body are deteriorating at a rate of which I cannot be sure. I can't take care of him. Why not? If you're the one deteriorating, he's the one losing you. I'm losing myself. He's the one who will be one day left without you, in one sense or another. He probably stands to suffer even more than you do. Corinne frowns at this, incredulous to be losing this suffering contest. Somewhere in the last line, Robin has veered into a more unsteady emotional state. She may be close to tears. Corinne notices this. Robin, uh, it's, it's okay. I'm not deteriorating yet. No. <laughs> I had a terrible date last night. Oh, that's nice. Does everything always have to be about you? Sorry, no. I slept with him and it was terrible. What was terrible about it? Gruesome, sloppy, very in and out. A sweaty mess that wasn't even that sweaty because it barely lasted long enough for that. Granted, it was only a second date, and maybe I shouldn't have given in so soon. But I really thought it was what I wanted. This is going to sound very married. But I think the key to good sex is not just wanting to get laid, but really deeply, badly Wanting to be with the person you're with. That is the most married thing that's ever been said and 0% helpful. Okay. I don't want your sex tips. You're married to my brother. You ask me about sex all the time. Well, not anymore. Those days are over. I'm going out into the sex world and I'm doing it without your help. The sex world. Well, whatever. Why are you mad at me? Because you are happy and you still feel sad. Michael enters without knocking. What in God's name is taking so long? I'll meet you outside. She's gone. Michael looks at Corinne accusatorily, waiting for an explanation. After a beat of no response, he starts for the door again. Let's go. I want to tell you something. I'll tell you all of it. I promise I won't leave anything out. But I want you to listen, really listen, and make space in your brain for what I'm telling you. He stops and looks at her. Okay. Tonight after the show, Cabot stopped in to see me. I was already changed and nearly out the door. We talked a little bit about what happened the other night about 
me keeping the disease from him, and he shared with me how he was feeling. Wondered how I was feeling. And then he asked if he could hold my hand. Asked. Of course I let him. Then he took a step closer and said, I have no agenda or expectations, but I think I need to kiss you right now. He put his hand on my waist and he kissed me. I let him and I kissed him back. It was not heated. The whole thing couldn't have lasted longer than 10 seconds, but I felt, I felt that I needed to give that to him. I, I needed to gift him that. And not in the sense of my lips are some great treasure that I graciously allowed him to touch with his, but in the sense of of closure, of comfort. I could give him that. It was the right thing. And I feel good having done it. I don't want you to feel uncomfortable about it. And if it causes you any pain or anxiety, I'm sorry about that. But It's okay. I get it. You do? Yeah. Cabot is in love with you, and you're in love with me. And that's sad. Can't blame anybody for it. I hope it brings him some measure of solace. She sort of smiles. You've been softened. Hmm? I softened you a bit when I married you. Allison softened you a lot. Is it a turn-off? <laughs> no. I know how you like me grumpy and misanthropic. Or perhaps I like you despite those things. Oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> Cabot, kiss me and you don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I get to kiss you whenever I want. Oh, is that so? Isn't it? Well, within reason. You're confusing reason with raw passion and animal desire. Is that what that is? They smile at each other, amused by the cleverness of their own banter. The moment passes, and then... Why have you been so afraid to touch me? Because I... I have a notion of impending doom. You had a seizure in my arms in a New York City cab, and I realized very suddenly that I had no control over what was happening to you and that I could not stop it. There's nothing I can do for you or give you that will make you better or keep this from happening. Every moment I'm with you is another moment when I might have, might have to watch your eyes roll back in your head or feel you go completely limp in my arms. This is not a good excuse, and I will get over it. But there it is. Okay. Is there anything I can do to help with that? I wish, but no. If perfect's what you're searching for, then just stay the same. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> It's a line from a song. Oh, you don't listen to music with <laughs> lyrics. I, I heard it in a pop song, Dwayne Reed. It reminds me of you. Oh, for God's sake, let's go. He takes her hand and they head for the door. Scene 10. Michael and Corinne's living room. Corinne is sitting on the couch with Allison. Allison's face is tear-stained. Did Michael ever tell you about his first wife? That's not you. Michael married a woman named Maggie when he was 25 years old. She was an actor as well, naturally. She was smart and beautiful and easygoing, apparently. Michael said it seemed like the right thing to do when you find someone smart and beautiful and easygoing. If they're willing, you marry them. She drove him insane. And after a few months, he couldn't stand to be around her. But it took him four years to divorce her. <sighs> She's a lovely woman. And although she still lives right here in the city, 
we exchange the occasional letter. Why? When Michael asked me to marry him, I wrote to her, essentially asking if she could give me a good reason not to marry him. Why? <laughs> because I couldn't think of one. <laughs> We've still never met in person, but I like her immensely on paper. Why did you tell me that? I think because I was going to tell you to write me letters. I could just email you or text you. Write me letters. They'll be much more interesting. You'll be surprised. Allison reaches for Corinne's hand, and Corinne squeezes it. I don't want to leave. You have to. It's just so ridiculous. Every college I apply to, except one, is right here in New York. And the only one I get into is the one thousands of miles away. I hate to say it. But by giving you no other options, the universe seems to be telling you something, kid. You better listen to it. Uh. I don't know that I'm an especially spiritual person, and I'm, I'm not really even an especially thoughtful one. But the universe, or whatever, has clearly helped you get all your ducks in a row in good time so that you could be ready for this. You broke up with your boyfriend, met and developed a relationship with your biological father and his crazy wife and got some closure from your mother. You've learned a lot, and now you fly or whatever. But I just got you. I don't want to leave you. Allison moves closer and puts her arm around Corinne's waist. Corinne hesitates, then reciprocates. I don't know what to say about that. I'm not very good at reassuring people. But it's not forever. I can say at least that much. How should I tell Michael? It's up to you, but I think you'd better let me tell Michael. I can soften the blow, minimize the emotional damage. And Kobe sad? What do you think? <laughs> He's kind of hard to read. Not untrue. I guess I don't have much to compare him to, but he's a pretty good dad. Corinne? Sorry. <laughs> We've all referred to Michael as your father, but dad? That's something different, isn't it? Probably, yeah. You think he's a good dad? Best I ever had. Well, he is a man of many talents. I was so prepared for you both to want nothing to do with me. You know, love, as we know and has been posited endlessly throughout eternity, is strange. And the ways we come upon it are sometimes even stranger than the feeling itself. Most parents and children get to experience instant, unconditional love that is entirely beyond their control. They don't learn to love each other. They don't get to fall in love with each other. We got to fall in love with you. It's an odd way to do it, but for that reason, I trust it so much more. When will he be home? Late. He's in Queens, shooting that commercial. Can I sleep here tonight? Sure. Take the guest room. Scene 11. Michael and Corinne's living room. Michael sits at the table with a cup of coffee reading an actual paper newspaper. 
Corinne enters. How are you up before me? It must have been after 3 a.m. when you got home. You sleep more than you used to. <laughs> Thanks. She sits beside him, steals his cup of coffee, and drinks from it. So, okay, I like coming home to find you already passed out because when I'm not there, you fall asleep right in the middle of the bed. Really? Yes, always. And I am forced to decide between pushing you over and sleeping on the tiny sliver that is my left side. And what do you do? I sleep on the sliver, of course. Because then, eventually, you'll inch closer and use me as a pillow. And I like that very much. Aww. He steals his coffee back and drinks it. Hey, did we have sex this morning? What? It could have just been part of my dream. Do you usually have sex dreams about the person sleeping right next to you? Well, no. They're usually about Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> oh, your face. God, you're so cute when you're mad at me. Hey, I've been thinking. Oh, hey, I've been thinking. Start again. What if we asked Allison to come live with us? Live here. I know it's hard to imagine having someone else in the house, and I know how much we, you know, value our alone time. But it just seems like if we really want to build a relationship with her, we have to make a decision about that relationship. How involved do we want to be? Are we going to really be parents? And what does that mean? I don't even know if she would even want this, but I know she'd like to stay and go to school in New York and I'm sure that has something to do with us. And I think it's at the very least an important gesture for us to ask her to put that kind of commitment on the table. It's a lot, I know, but what do you think? Oh, honey. What? She reaches for his hand. What? Allison's going to USC in the fall. In Los Angeles. Oh. Allison enters from the hall, probably in Corinne's pajamas. Morning. Michael is totally stunned. Uh, morning. He looks at Corinne. So, Allison spent the night in the guest room. Yeah. Don't worry, I didn't hear you guys have sex. Michael shoots a glare at Corinne. Corinne tries not to laugh. Sorry about that. That was a joke. Did you guys have sex? That was not a good joke. Yeah, I have a pretty indiscernible sense of humor. Huh. Wonder where you got that from. <laughs> is there coffee? In the Michael starts to cry. Allison and Corinne are totally frozen for a second. Then Corinne pulls her chair close to his. Honey, hey. The front door buzzer rings. Allison, could you? Yeah. Allison goes over and hits the buzzer. She stays by the door. Corinne just kind of lets Michael cry. A knock on the door, and Allison answers it. It's Cabot and Robin. Both are carrying coffee or bagels or some sort of breakfast-related thing. Robin holds up her left hand. We're engaged! Just kidding. I ran into this asshole in the elevator. We continue to have no physical chemistry or interest in each other. They both let themselves in. But apparently we both had the same notion of arriving unannounced with surprise, breakfast, accoutrements. See, I could never love anyone who uses words like accoutrements. You came over for breakfast too? What's... What the hell? Both Cabot and Robin put their things down. Michael pulls himself together enough to get up and exit into the hall. Corinne stands, looking at everyone, and takes a breath. What'd you do? Corinne, do you know why? Yeah. He just got a brief glimpse of what it would look like if we were a, you know, family. 
And that's a problem why? Because we're not. Aren't you? Excuse me for a minute. She starts towards the hall. Hey, do you mind if I take this one? Go right ahead. Robin exits into the hall. Um, I'm gonna get dressed. Allison exits into the hall. Corinne sits down on the couch. Cabot sits with her. Then practice losing farther, losing faster. She looks at him unamused. Don't think I don't remember you scrawling that Elizabeth Bishop poem onto every piece of paper you happened upon after your mother died. Our apartment was littered with crumpled up paper scraps covered in your serial killer handwriting. I lost two cities, lovely ones, and vaster. The realms I owned, two rivers, uh... Continent. I missed them, but it wasn't a disaster. He puts an arm around her. He'll be okay. I'll help him when you can't. Uh, what? I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> you impress me. <sighs> Meanwhile, my husband is having an emotional breakdown in the next room. It's good. He'll be better for it. I can't make anything better for him. Yep, and he can't make anything better for you. So there it is. So what? None of this will bring disaster. When was the last time you saw Michael cry? About 15 years ago. You're not about to tell me he's one of those unmitigated saps who cried at his own wedding, are you? Oh, Christ. We got married in the backyard of my parents' house, and we were also staying there, which is not a very romantic place for a wedding night. And after everyone left the party, we stayed outside on our own and danced to nothing, and I was unbearably happy, and Michael cried, maybe just to prove to me he was capable of it. It was singularly magnificent. I wanted to renew my vows to him, even though I'd only just made them hours before. You're both incredible nerds, you know that, right? Corinne looks at him. Allison enters, now dressed. I'm gonna head out. Michael enters from the hallway. Robin follows him on. I think we should move to L.A. Corinne doesn't look at them, just turns her head vaguely in Cabot's direction. It's really the... And Baxter that gets me. Silence. Blackout. End of play. This has been a production of Play for Keeps. Thank you for joining us.